Hey, welcome to Tech You Should Know with Kim Commando, your insider secrets to protecting yourself online, making money from home, securing your devices, avoiding scams, and much, much more. I'm Mike James, and in just a bit, we're going to go behind the scenes of IBM X-Force Red, or we're going to delve into the hacker world and find the sinister individuals trying to break into the world's most secure companies. Secure, Secure companies. <laughs> Actually, no, it's not really like that. But there is a great hacking story, and Kim is going to talk to Charles Henderson, a global partner and head of X-Force Red. And we're going to find out several myths of hacking, what you think, but probably it just ain't so. It's a candid conversation about just what is out there as far as threats to your security and privacy and how to protect yourself. And a quick reminder here, this is not the Kim Commando Show. Every week, Kim gives you the very latest, best advice on tech news and tips and DIYs. And she takes your questions on the Kim Commando Show. It's three hours, a nationally syndicated radio show on over 400 radio stations nationwide. Now, for that podcast, you just go to getkim.com, and then if you enter promo code Kim, you're going to get a free 30-day trial. That's getkim.com, and you get the full show as a free 30-day trial, and then it's only a few bucks a month. All right, coming up next, Charles Henderson, a global partner and head of X-Force Red on Tech You Should Know with Kim Commando. Joining us on this very special Kim Commando podcast is Charles Henderson. And Charles has been in the security industry for years. And now, Charles, tell us exactly what you do for IBM. So I am the global managing partner and head of X-Force Red at IBM, which is a fancy way of saying I run a team of hackers. Which is just amazing to me. So how many hackers are on your team? We have just over a couple hundred, and we test everything from planes, trains, automobiles to people. And in fact, our mission statement is hacking anything to secure everything. And so what do you do? Like you get onto like LinkedIn jobs or ZipRecruiter and say, hi, we're IBM. And if you're a hacker, come over to us. Well, you know, if you think about the people on my team. They're really interested in security, and that's important, and that's across the security industry. Uh, but they think differently than everyone else. Everyone else is dedicated to making things work or finding solutions. These are the people that sort of are really good on my team at finding the problems, uh, is saying how things don't work. How can I make that break? And it really stems from an innate ability to make things do th- do something that they weren't intended to do. Um, think about getting a, a, we had a, a member of our team that got a Commodore 64 to run Twitter. Um, that's a little weird. And <laughs> <laughs> it's not the classic use case. So it, it's almost like these folks are just wired just a bit differently. They think outside the lines, and it's not so much that they color outside the lines so much as they don't color inside the lines. So give us some examples of some real-life cases, and you don't have to name companies, where maybe there was a vulnerability that management didn't see, and then you guys came in and gals came in, because I know you have gals, because I love Snow, by the way. She's amazing. 
and we've had her on the show several times. Uh, give us some examples of how you've you've exposed some security flaws that could have been major breaches had you not stepped in. So, I, you know, I, I have this story and I, I, I love telling it because it's a story that everyone can relate to. Um, and it involves actually a physical attack that we, uh, we performed in the case uh, in the course of a red team engagement. And a red team engagement, um, it's also called adversary simulation, is a model of a real world attack. It happens over months. The, the ob- objective isn't to find vulnerabilities necessarily, but instead to find gaps in detection. Make sure that a company can detect an ongoing attack. And, and in this case, we had two consultants assigned to a major financial institution, Red Team. And it's one that everyone on uh, listening has heard of. Probably about half of them have accounts. And in this case, they, they were doing some due diligence, checking out the financial institution online, and they found a swag shop. They found some, you know, sells computer bags with the financial crest on it. Um, basically, the kind of gear that your average employee would have. They went out and they, they bought that gear um, they went on to social media, they investigated employees, they found what the badge looked like, uh, and they created fake badges, and they suited up and off they went to New York City. Um, and on the way in, on a Monday morning, they stopped by a donut shop and bought a dozen donuts. And they went to the financial institution, went to the first floor, and they used a little device that we have that disables temporarily the badge reader on the first floor. And they dropped it on the potted plant by the badge reader, by the elevator. And sure enough, none of the badges were working. So, you know, a queue of people was forming. And they had the theory that the guards at that point would just check the badges because they couldn't check to see if they worked. They would just check the badges, check your photo ID and check your face, see if all three kind of went together and then let you up. And sure enough, that worked. And off our two consultants went to the executive floor of this financial institution. They quickly located a conference room, dragged a table over to the door in front of the conference room, put the donuts down and put a note out that said, um, sorry for the inconvenience. We have a, a, a unexpected financial audit that's come up. Um, we need to use the conference room. All meetings will be rescheduled. Uh, for your inconvenience, please take a free donut. It turns out <laughs> people love donuts. I mean, um, I recently went <laughs> keto, but you know what? That's that's something I miss. And um, donuts <laughs> were enough to get people not to report the issue or ask questions because, you know, hey, you're given a free donut. These guys must be wow. legit. Um, so the first thing that this, uh, this tandem did was they attacked the conference room reservation system. They said, we've got to take over the conference room reservation system because this isn't going to work very long when their meetings don't get rescheduled. So they go right. off and on a SharePoint, they find credentials for several systems within the financial institution. And one of them is, lo and behold, the administrative credentials to the conference room reservation system. And... <laughs> So then they start moving meetings. Now everyone uh, thinks they're legit because their meeting got moved, right? It, 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 <laughs> it, it, provides, it provides reassurance that the story you've been given and the donut are based in fact. It, so It's all legit. It, it's all legit. The only problem was, I don't know how familiar you are with Swift Wire Transfer. They also found in the same stockpile of credentials, 
the administrative credentials to the Swift Wire Transfer System. Now, this was a problem. I'm sorry. I don't know. what What is that? What is a Swift Wire Transfer? I don't know what that is. So if you think about moving money from one account to another, internationally, anywhere, they use the Swift Wire Transfer System. So if I want to take money from account A to account B very quickly, instantaneously, I use the Swift Wire Transfer System. So in this case, um, there there had just been a huge amount of Swift fraud that had actually occurred, and a lot of banks were having trouble clawing back fraudulent wire transfers. And our attackers had just stumbled upon the administrative credentials for the Swift wire transfer system for this financial institution. Now, normally in an engagement like this, we're, we're not looking for vulnerabilities or scouring the internet for, for credentials. That's more of a penetration test kind of objective. This is, this is true adversary simulation. We, the, the team reached out to the CIO and said, hey, we happen to be in New York City because keep in mind, this is slow and low. The organization doesn't know where or what they're doing. They have a rules of engagement that allowed this behavior um, that you know, sort of sets the boundaries. But other than that, they really don't have an idea where this tandem is. And the, the CIO says, you know, hey, if you've got something serious and want to talk about it, yeah, let's meet where do you want to meet? And the tandem said, well, there's a conference room on your floor. We'd love to meet there if, if you have time now. And he said, I'd love to, but there's a financial audit going on and they've got that room occupied. <laughs> no <laughs> way. Really? Yeah. Oh, and, but, you know, the fun of that is that, you know, we exposed a number of organizational detection controls that had been missed. There were a lot of chances for that attack to go awry. Um, there were a lot of chances for that terror to be detected. And there was a lot of failures. Security is not just about fixing a vulnerability. It's about a thought process. It's about organizational commitment. It's about culture. And, and you see so many organizations that have gotten into this find a flaw, fix a flaw philosophy, and they don't look at the overall detection uh, and, and security capability. It is it, sort of a, a complex organism, if you will. Well, it does. You know, it does become like whack a mole for for many companies. And, and it's really easy to get into that sort of. You know, it, it's almost like some sort of steampunk type assembly line where you just get into a rhythm and you go and no one stops to think, Hey, are we doing this the best way? Um, sometimes just looking at things differently is very important. You know, I always say that when we bring new people into the organization, I say, just because we've been doing it this way, doesn't mean it's the best way. Okay. So if you have a new way, let me know what it might be. Um, Charles, I put together some myths, and I thought it might be fun for our listeners to hear some of the myths uh, about security, and then we can talk about it. Like myth number one is I hear this from people, you know. This is – that is – I'm glad you highlighted that. The, the fundamental truth is that your information may be more valuable to an attacker than it is to you. And often what you think of as your information is actually customer information or other people's information. And it turns out that 
that information is extremely monetizable. And, you know, one of the quick replies I think I always have when somebody says that their information isn't valuable, why, why then are you in business? If the information isn't valuable, you have no business, right? So if people are paying you, if, if, if you are paying people, <laughs> there's obviously value there. And criminals are amazingly adept at monetizing even things that you and I may think of as trivial or just mere inconveniences and invasion of privacy. I think of one just off the top of my head. Uh, for the right type of passport, you're talking about $5,000 a piece on, uh, on the dark web right now. Really? And wow. Yeah. And, and that, that price has dropped a little bit because yeah, criminals aren't traveling, traveling either. Yes, we're not nobody's traveling right now. <laughs> But when you think of that, if you ask what the value of a valid passport was to someone and just the information associated with it, it'd probably come up with a much lower number. Um, so often I think people are surprised that there is a lot of value in the information that we take for granted every day. Hey, don't forget, if you've got a question about something digital, you can get Kim's unbiased advice and it's advice that you can trust. America's digital pro, Kim Commando, and our nationally syndicated radio show. You just go to commando.com, and in the upper right-hand corner, click on the Be a Caller button. We're going to ask you your name, and for a couple of details about your question, it will set up a time where you can be on the show, ask your question on the show. It is fun. You can call your friends and let them know that you're going to be on the show, and that's, again, the Be a Caller button in the upper right at commando.com. Just ahead, we've got more of Kim's conversation with IBM X-Force global partner Charles Henderson about what happens when credit cards get stolen, what you can do to protect yourself and family from these security threats on Tech You Should Know with Kim Commando. But, you know, Charles, I have seen different reports, and I don't know if they're valid or not, where your, say, your credit card number, your social security number, a full docile on everything about you is a couple of hundred bucks on the dark web. Is that true? That is true. So uh, credit card numbers have plummeted in value specifically. And it's because we've gotten so good at detecting fraud very quickly and shutting down those accounts. So if you think you you steal 100,000 credit cards and you use start using them in transactions or what actually happens is they sell to someone that uses them in a transaction. When those credit cards start being used, they are very quick to first shut down the cards that are being used, but also figure out the source of the card, trigger rotation of all those credit card accounts through what's called establishing a common point of purchase. And what that basically means is they figure out, hey, who got compromised that had all these cards in common? Okay, let's shut down the cards that haven't been used yet. And suddenly all those cards are worthless. And, and so, and you're right, because if I have a credit card and it gets, I mean, like I had it recently where uh, American Express called me and said, you know, are you in Germany right now buying 10 iPads? I'm like, no, that's not me. Sorry. You know, uh, and they are really good at detecting that fraud. Um, when we start talking about the dark web, uh, 
another question that I always get asked, especially about the dark web, is why can't we just go in and arrest these people? So first of all, we don't necessarily have jurisdiction in the places that these people live. Um, and it, it's sort of the second part of much of what computer crime does is take advantage of the anonymity that the web can provide. But first and, for, uh, first and foremost, you have to understand that a large number of people involved in organized crime are outside the jurisdiction of the law enforcement that your, your listeners may be most used to dealing with. Um, there are cases where law enforcement may be aware of the identity of someone and just unable to act. And there are other cases where it, it takes a great amount of time for someone to piece together the identity of a computer criminal. There, there was a, a case recently where a computer criminal was um, tracked down or, or an alleged computer criminal was tracked down via posts of um, allegedly ill-gotten gains on Instagram. <laughs> so law enforcement officials saw this individual posting fancy cars and uh, lots of cash and lots and an opulent lifestyle. Oh, I know who you're talking. I've seen pictures of this guy over the last week. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And what, what's amazing there is they worked backwards through those pictures to figure out the identity of the individual and then connect them to the crime. Uh, so if you think about that, that's it. Not every computer criminal is posting their ill-gotten gains on Instagram. <laughs> it, it, it's not exactly it's not the easiest pros, uh, prospect in the world. Yeah, I mean, I did. I saw a picture of this guy. He's got like uh, a Rolex on and he's got this Fendi outfit on and uh, and then he, he has a Rolls Royce on one side of him and a Lamborghini on the other. And I'm like, oh, okay. Somebody works hard for their money, right? Okay. Kim, I don't know about your life, but that's a very different life than the one I live. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. Uh, let's, talk, let's talk about another myth. Um, if I install security software and I have strong and complex passwords on all my accounts, I'll be okay. There are no silver bullets in security. Security is, um, security is like healthy living. Um, you do several things, and, and, and the things you just mentioned may be a part of that, but healthy living extends to more than just eating your vegetables every night. There, there, it's a layered approach. It includes offensive security, testing, verification. It includes products. It includes thought. It includes planning. Um, it, I cannot underscore the need for preparation. And all of that it's still not bulletproof. You do all of that so that you can avoid major, major health problems. But you still do your periodic checkups and try to detect health problems early in the security life cycle because small problems, just as they can in health, become very big, very fast in security. You know, I, I read a story recently, maybe not recently now, because since the pandemic hit, everything seems recent to me for some reason. Uh, it's like my life stopped in March. Um, but anyway, here nor there. 
is that uh, I remember reading a story about, I believe it was in Germany, where a CFO was busy working and the CEO called and said, listen, I need you to transfer uh, $250,000 to a vendor immediately. And the CFO, you know, is doing his job and this is his boss. He's definitely not going to disobey his boss. He's questioning it, but it is his boss who called him. And so he he goes ahead and he processes this $250,000 payment to a vendor. Uh, the boss calls the next day and says, listen, I need another 250 to the vendor. And that's when the CFO kind of like, hmm, this doesn't sound right to me, although it still sounds like my boss. Well, it turns out it was voice – instead of deep fake videos, it was deep fake voices, uh, which would be very, very, very difficult to detect even if you have all the security software that that is in place, uh, except for the fact that maybe – Maybe you don't have the right controls and procedures, but are you starting to see more of that technology being used? So we're seeing a lot of executive email compromise, and what, what the scam you just described owes its origins to executive email compromise, where they took the same tactic and via email would direct wire transfers because. You know, we, we talk criminals want to monetize your information. It turns out that nothing monetizes quite like cold hard cash. Um, and what they want to do is convince you to wire money. Well, very quickly through a lot of education and press and other things, people got wise to the email uh, compromise and moved on to uh, voice communications and other mechanisms to try and elicit the same wire transfer. So anytime you get directed to transfer money and it seems out of the ordinary, that's when you, you, you know, you verify, uh, one of the toughest things to do when it comes to crime of any sort is to claw back wire transfers. And Criminals know that, and that's why they love using them. You know, you, you always see those scams that use wire transfers or gift cards. That's because they're difficult to get back. Yeah, it's interesting. I had an assistant a couple of years ago, and she came into work, and she looked terrible. And I called her in. I said, you know, what's wrong? And she says, well, you know, my, my husband bought a car on eBay. And do you happen to need $1,000 worth of iTunes gift cards? And I'm like, what? And she's like, well, he bought a car on eBay. It was an incredible deal. And they wanted to be paid in iTunes gift cards. So I went to Walgreens and I bought $1,000. i am like, oh, no, I, I'm sorry. I don't need $1,000 worth of <laughs> iTunes gift cards. Um, okay. How about another myth? Uh, hacking is like what they show on television. It is not. And first of all, I want to dispel one myth. It, hacking is a co-ed sport, okay? Um, it is a very diverse sport. In fact, we look for different thought processes, different backgrounds, whether that's socioeconomic, um, whether that's gender, whether that's um, geographic. Um, what we're looking for is people that think differently from one another because you're always trying to think of that one thing no one's ever thought of before. And if you have a whole bunch of people that think the same way, you might as well have one person. So diversity is, is really important. Secondarily, it probably would be fairly boring to mo- most 
uh, motion picture viewers. And, and that's why you see it dressed up. There's, there's lots of uh, fun graphical interfaces and um, things are pretty immediate, you know, instant gratification. It fits nicely in the one and a half hour time slot of the movie. The truth is that when you're looking for true uh, exploitation of uh, a company, Hacking goes on much longer. Look at our red team engagements. They sometimes go on for many, many months, slow and low. You're trying not to be detected. And the easiest way to do that is to do discrete tasks individually with time padding between them so that they can't be correlated very easily. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It makes total sense, especially like, you know, every time they want to show a hacker, it's a guy in a hoodie. And he's just, you know, hunched over and typing away and, you know, all this gibberish is on the screen and it's not really the way that that happens. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you think about how quickly it happens in the movie, it's, you know, they start the day realizing that they need to get into, you know, whatever uh, super secret system. And by the end of the day... The problem has been solved. Not only have they gotten in, they've gotten everything changed and everything went superbly. Uh, <laughs> the problem with that is that that kind of quick compromise, lateral movement, that, that's the kind of thing that sets off all sorts of security tools. So you take a much more cautious approach. Think of it as a, a, you know, a much more well-thought-out, well-planned, well-orchestrated um, approach to blend in with your surroundings. The, the truth is, the modern corporate network is a fairly noisy place. It's fairly easy to blend in. It's really easy to blend in when you have time on your side. If you love the digital lifestyle and love keeping up with all the breaking tech news and security alerts and data breaches so you can tell your friends and family kind of what's going on and what to watch out for we've got you covered with the commando newsletters they keep you right up to date and you can get yours at commando.com which is k-o-m-a-n-d-o and on the top click on the get the newsletter button and it's a double opt-in so we'll send you an email to make sure that you want the newsletters and then you got them we've got also specialty newsletters about apple and android many many others including the current which is just what it says it keeps you up to date on what's going on and there is no advertising in the current it is read it just as you get it and again that's at commando.com k-o-m-a-n-d-o.com Try it out and see if you like it. We believe you will. It's at commando.com, K-O-M-A-N-D-O. Hey, just ahead, it's more of Kim's conversation with IBM X-Force global partner Charles Henderson. And now we're all working from home. So up next, how have scammers pivoted to target people working at home and working on their personal devices and what you need to look out for? That's just ahead on Tech You Should Know with Kim Commando. Okay, next myth. BYODs, they're safe. We don't need to worry about them. Bring your own device. So, you know, safe is a myth, I'd say, more than anything. But um, BYOD, the biggest problem that I see 
with BYOD adoption is the careless way that many adopt BYOD. Um, essentially giving users, giving employees very little guidance with their own devices, very little education, and very little oversight. So you don't see a lot of um, software in place to make sure that employees are using their own devices in a controlled manner. You don't see a lot of employees that understand the requirements for security that are placed on them as they use their own devices. It's really, it's very easy for BYOD to become the wild, wild west. I don't think it's a problem with BYOD. I think it's a problem with the, the implementation of BYOD by folks that see it as offloading a problem. And once they have deployed BYOD, they don't have to worry about it anymore. And they, they see it as a cost savings. They've taken it off their books. And because of that, they're not maintaining it. Um, if you go back to that health analogy, it's a bit like deciding I'm going to eat vegetables now so I no longer have to go to the doctor. And especially now that so many people are working from home, they just don't have yeah, they don't have their IT department at their full disposal as they might if they were in the office. And so are you starting to see any increase because people are working from home in, in security incidents and hacking attempts? In terms of increase in hacking attempts, I would say there's a focus on work from home. It's not that the overall hacking attempts are going up drastically. They're going up slightly, but not drastically. But what you're seeing is a concentration on the easy target of the work from home employee. Um, it, in essence, computer criminals like to take the path of least resistance. And when they notice this employee where, you know, it was a point where 75% of employees were working from an office. Now, 75% of employees are working from home. Uh, when you see that kind of shift, criminals take notice too. And what's really interesting about that is, and we just did a study of over 2,000 employees that were new to work from home. We asked them questions. Hey, how did your job change? And we said, hey, what kind of new security processes have been put into place? And over 60% said, well, we haven't gotten any new security processes now that we're working from home. But meanwhile, even though they've been given no security processes, 83% said they're comfortable with the security of their new work from home environment that their, their company has given them. And that to me says it's a false sense of security, which sort of doubles down on the work from home problem. Yeah, it is interesting because you have all these different variables right there right now. I mean, and, and it seems like we have many more open ports and ways to get in, whereas before we didn't. Um, next myth. We used to have all the Nigerian scams, the princes promising us riches. And as a matter of fact, I got a call on the show a couple of weeks ago from a guy who was dating somebody online in Google Hangouts and... uh she, after a few months, said that she had gotten an, an inheritance from England. Lucky her, right? And needed to pay the lawyer's fee, and he gave her a couple of thousand dollars. And he called me to he called me to ask me if, if I thought he was getting scammed. But anyway, here nor there. Um, a lot of people think that phishing is a thing of the past. What do you say to that? Phishing isn't going anywhere. 
uh, it's an amazingly effective technique. What you're seeing is the people responsible for fishing campaigns getting better at it. Look at the uh, World Health Organization purported emails. They were actually from fishers sending out emails, scamming people. Those were amazingly effective. What you're seeing is the scam artists, the criminals who conduct these fishing operations, getting much better about understanding their audience. Uh, you can almost think of it as um, they went to business school and they understood their customer, their, 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 their target um, better. And they started looking at behavior habits of these targets. What, what matters to them? What's, gonna, <clears throat> what's going to resonate with them? What's going to get them to click? And, and the reason all that's important is, look, they're interested in return on investment. They want for every email they send to get the most return on that action. Um, because also, when you send just a ton of emails that set off a ton of alarms, they're less effective. So if they can take real-world emails and just modify them slightly and you fall for it, they're much much better in terms of return on investment. So what you're seeing is, first of all, when they send out the wide net emails, you're seeing things that have real world implications. And two, you're seeing a lot more spear phishing. And that's more directed, targeted, where you might see a financial officer at a specific company targeted with a specific email used to maybe elicit their um, their email credentials or their internet credentials, something that they're going after a specific target of a specific individual based on the types of software or services that that individual uses. And we do that a lot in our adversary simulation as well as our social engineering practice. And you would be amazed at how effective uh, those emails can well, be. I'll tell you, somebody on your staff sent me one. I fell for it. I did. I opened it. It was uh, it was a note that was uh, inviting me to be the co-chair of a auto show. And I'm a big car person. I mean, I have an F12. I've got a G-Wagon. Don't have the Rolls Royce and the Lamborghini yet. But uh, I fell for it because – and it was totally social engineered. And it looked legitimate. It sounded – there were no typos, none of those classic signs. Um, one last question for you, Charles. Is total security possible? Total security happens uh, when one unplugs and moves to a distant land. Um, and even then, I would say, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we're just going to unplug then, everything. The <laughs> you leave behind is still vulnerable. A couple things there. One, security is a continuum. And, and you think, at one end of the continuum is no security, and at the other end of the continuum is total security. But neither are truly, um, truly achievable. It can always get worse, and it can always get better. So what, what I say to people is that there is a point at which, though, that security removes the return on investment for a criminal. In other words, it is cost prohibitive for a criminal to attack you. And that, that, that's really, I guess, the good enough point where, where it's no longer a, a profitability statement for, an, uh, for a criminal. Because 
at the end of the day, you know, there, there's always going to be determined attackers and you need to consider them. But there, there needs to be a, also an understanding that that profitability line where, where you need to be is always moving. So, so too must your organizational goals, your personal goals, uh, just generally security goals to make sure that you're staying current with the threat landscape. Charles, thanks for joining us. Um, what's the web address where people might want to learn more about IBM and what you guys are doing and how they might even enlist your services? Yeah, I'm giving you two of them, ibm.com slash security and ibm.com slash X-Force Red. Um, and, and, of course, you can always follow me on Twitter. There, there's usually some interesting research that uh, I'm uh, uh, running around with. And how, how do they do that? What, what's your at sign? A-N-G-U-S underscore T-X. Thank you, Charles. Thanks, Tim. Well, thank you so much for listening to Tech You Should Know with Kim Commando. I'm Mike James. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Then you automatically get these podcasts delivered to your device. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.